2 Timothy 3.16 tells us all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The Bible has a purpose. It's not just a book, it's the book. It gives to us the communication that God has for us for our entire life. Describes to us how we arrived where we are, why man is fallen. Our nature is damaged, literally from birth. And that God in love, His love for us redeemed us and prepared a way long before we came around that we could escape that that we could have a relationship with Him forever. God's Word is holy. It's pure. It's righteous. It's useful. It's full of purpose. It has direction. And in a world with no direction, that seemingly day by day, everything changes, we need something that's stable. And God's Word is stable. It gives us the strength to know that whatever comes our way, God still has hold of us. He will never let go. He has a purpose for us, and He continues to fulfill that. And He has a relationship with us as He fellowships and loves us. As beautiful as the choir was in the ladies' ensemble this morning, if you're not a Christian, that's just beautiful music. But to the Christian, and, and, and as I was sitting there, I kept thinking how wonderful this is because you are singing about us. You're singing about God's relationship with us through every storm of life, through every frustration and anxiety. God is there. Now I want to think today about the last part of, of, of this furnishing of what we should wear when we go into battle for Him. And remember, we don't fight the battle. He fights the battle for us. We simply dress to be identified as with Him and to stand for what is true and right. The last part of, of this furnishing of our armor is the sword of the Spirit. I want, to, I want you to notice that it is the only thing given to us that can be an offensive weapon. And there's a reason. Because as we go through this life, we're going to have people that confront us and they're going to say, well, I just don't believe the Bible because this, 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 and this just doesn't seem to work. But we can take God's Word and we can refute the false claims of those who don't believe in God. But unfortunately, Christians today don't read their Bible. We have a Bible. We hold the Bible. We look at the Bible. We talk about the Bible. We study some parts of the Bible, but we really don't consume it on our own constantly. And we are, we are expected to do that. I can prove to you why... Many people don't study the Bible. Many Christians don't study the Bible as you should. I want to give you five statements made by Christians that I've heard in the last month that are the most unbiblical statements you could ever hear. The first one is this. Someone asked me not long ago, they said, Preacher, where in the Bible would I find that, that verse that says cleanliness is next to godliness? It's not there. That's a Puritan saying. It, 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 was, it was published in some early articles written in one of the first let, uh, uh, newsletters written in America, but it is not scriptural. Number two, God's help, God helps those who help themselves. 
I am so glad that's not true. Because if that's true, then where's grace? You see, it's the time that, that we're helpless that God steps forward and changes our life. It's when we neglect that God seems to come and undergird us and lift us up. God blesses our efforts, but our efforts are meaningless without Him. The third one, God won't give you more than you can stand. That is such a lie. God has one purpose in your life once you come to know His Son as Savior, and He implants the engrafted Holy Spirit within you. He has one purpose for you. That is to conform you to the image of His Son. And how he does it, he's not particular. Whatever storm in life that comes your way, he will use that to make you into the person you need to be. He's always worked that way. And you see, sometimes we get more than we can handle. I've had people tell me that the Bible, uh, I mean Christianity and, and the Bible is just a crutch. I always say, you're so right. Because until you admit that you can't get through this life without God, Without His Word, you're hopeless and helpless. And many people say, God won't put more on you than you can handle. Yes, He will. He'll allow it to happen because His grace is sufficient through all those storms. We've gone through some mighty storms in this church over the last year. I've stood over way too many graves and said goodbye to wonderful, purposeful blessed people that, that meant so much to our church and enriched our lives here and, and they were gone too soon. But where they are is a much better place than this. With all the beauty of the earth and all the wonders of, of life in a free country, it pales in comparison to being in heaven and the joy that's there. I think many times about the congregation that's gathered up there. I I kind of think Henry Lyons leading them all. Of course, Elizabeth Driggers probably fighting to do that also. But, but I, I think about all those beautiful people that over 130 people I've buried in 11 years here gathered together worshiping with the thousands that, that went before them. What a blessing. How wonderful is their situation. But no, ours will, will not be perfect here on earth. Uh, the fourth one, this comes right from a TV preacher. All God wants to do is make you happy. No, that's not true. Because sometimes in happiness, in a light spirit, we don't learn the deep truths of God. Sometimes it's in contemplative thinking when we're going through a storm that we really come close to God. It's when we're in the vice that we're most focused on God. With all due respect to the children's program, I, I can say this now, I love Winnie the Pooh, but you know what? Don't live like Winnie the Pooh. You can't do that. Now, you don't have to be like Eeyore, but you do need to be like, like Winnie. You don't need to be like Winnie the Pooh. Don't be careless in, in understanding the blessing God's given you. Stay focused on it. Understand that storms come. And what we're to do is when storms come, we're to gather together and support one another. And you do that so well. But then lastly, listen very carefully to this one. We're all God's children. That simply is not true. We are born in sin. We come into this world rebellious and sinful and hell-bound. Now, I know that sounds funny. You know, 
I've looked at babies. I looked at my own three children through that little glass in the nursery. I was there when all three of them were born. And you look at them and you think how wonderful they are. Then they throw up on you a time or two. And then they, they teach you to play fetch. You know that's the first game you learn with your kids. They, they throw something off, off their, their, you know, their little plate they've got there, and then you pick it up, and then they throw it again. They, and, and you know what it, that's all about? They've got control. They're born in sin. We're not all God's children. Those of us who have confessed and forsaken our old life and accepted the life of Jesus, we're God's children. The little ones who are innocent will have a home in heaven if they pass, but they've got to pass through that relationship of coming to know Him as Jesus. That's the reason we do what we do here on these steps. Right now, <clears throat> Gina, God bless her, is over there struggling with, with a lot of energy going in all directions. If you gave your child a bowl of cereal full of sugar this morning, shame on you because they're burning it up over there right now. But you know what? She's focused. And those little ones come back and ask questions. That matters. I am so blessed when I see a child that grows up here. And that time comes that their, their, their eyes are open and their heart is, is prepared. There's one right there. I remember when you did that. You remember that, sweetheart? I'll never forget that day. That was so precious. Some people come very naturally to that. It's just, it's just a progression. Some it takes a while. But we're committed to that. And we need to understand that to become a child of God, we've got to give our heart to God. We've got to choose. Now, I want to think about the sword for a little bit. I want to think about in, in, the, in the Christian arsenal what that's all about. When I was a very young teen, I had two cousins that were drafted. Ended up in Vietnam. First, they went through basic training, and in their basic training, they were both going to be infantry. That meant they were cannon fodder. They were just walking around out there with, with, with weapons. And their weapon back then was the M16. I remember my older cousin telling me how much he hated that gun because he said, in, in, in basic training, he said, they gave me that M16 and I never let go of it. He said, I had to learn to tear it down and put it back together several times a day. He said, I, I learned how to fire it in all situations. He said, I cleaned it. I took it with me. He said, I couldn't even go to the latrine without my M16. He said, it was with me when I ate chow. It was beside me in my bed. It went with me everywhere. And he said, I realized how important it was when I had boots on the ground in Vietnam. Because the only thing that stood between me and the enemy was that gun. And I had to be prepared at a moment's notice, half awake, not understanding what's going on, to defend myself and others with that weapon. He said, I had to know what it sounded like when it jammed. I had to know ahead of time that was going to happen so it would not jam and I would protect those that I was sent to protect. In fact, he told me the other day after 48 years, he said, if I were handed an M16 right now, I would immediately know what to do to clean it, put it back together, and to fire it. Now, that's exactly the way the Word of God is. We've got to handle it in such a way that we understand constantly what we're to do 
When somebody is, is trying to refute something in, in, in the standard of Christian faith, you ought to immediately have a verse come to mind or a situation you could quote out of Scripture to let them know the truth of it. Because remember, it's not your cunning words. It's, it's not your sheer technique that will make the difference. It's the Word of God given to them that the Holy Spirit will apply to their hearts and change them. There's something that's so miraculous about God's Word, this life-changing, that we must use in our daily lives. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I was saved at age 8 in a church that had a program called Awana. I don't know if you all have heard of Awana before. Many of you have. Awana is, is, is it's not a, it's not a foreign word and it's not a cult. Awana is an acronym that stands for this verse, 2 Timothy 2.15, Approved workmen are not ashamed. And all Awana is about is learning and memorizing God's Word, knowing what it means and why it means that and how to apply it to your own life. I walked into that gathering at age 6 and at age 8 I suddenly realized Scripture wasn't about people out there. It was about me. I was a sinner. I needed to get saved. I needed to have a relationship with God, not at arm's length, but close up. I needed the Holy Spirit of God within me, and it made all the difference. To read God's Word is one thing, but to know it, to memorize it, and to live it is another. Many Christians keep God's Word off at a distance because sometimes it hurts to handle it. Let me explain what I mean by that. It hurts because sometimes when you read it, it convicts you. It, it convicts saved people just like it does lost people. It convicts Christians that they're not living the way they should live. It reminds us that, that we can't be sedentary in the faith. We have to be active. We can't wait for other people to do things that we see. If we see a situation and we understand what's going on there, and that there's a need, it is our obligation to go after that situation and fix it. God expects that. Mark Chittam came to town to be a doctor, but really he came to be a missionary. and He's been doing mission work ever since. He sees a need and he gets busy with it. He's brought together an incredible team of people all over, you know, rich, poor, young, and old, to do whatever mission and ministry work that can be done. Now, he didn't plan that. God planned that. And that's so important that we do that. It's so important that we be active in that way in our Christian faith. God expects us to do that. The reality is, many times, the work isn't done. And sometimes it's not done correctly. Because the one that God had literally prepared to do the work is unwilling to step forward and do it. You know, John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I want to think about the idea of, of that, that Word. The Word is logos in the Greek, and it's a very important word. It, 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 it's not referring to something only. It can mean something, but here it means someone. You see, the Bible is literally the heart of God to us. But one day this book won't exist. Did you know that? One day, when, according to Revelation, one day when we're in heaven with God and, and there have been the consummation of the ages and everything is ended and all evil is put away 
and only righteousness reigns. You know where this book will be? It says, God will write his words upon your heart. You will be the walking, talking word, logos. That's what Jesus is to us. Everything he did, said, thought about, and echoed in any way was truth. And yet people looked at that truth and they denied it, they hated it, and they killed it. But it continued to live. And people will deny you and they'll hate you. They might even one day try to kill you. We're getting closer to that in the world we live in. But that truth will always stand. And we've got to be people who are righteous in every way. Hebrews 4 says the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, of bones and marrow, of the, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You know what's unusual here? When, when, when the word is used there uh, for, for Scripture, for the Bible, it doesn't mean a long sword. Do you, do you realize that in battle, a Roman soldier killed more people with a dagger than he did a long sword? The, the long sword was good when people were at a distance and you were swinging away. But the time would come that they would either break their sword or drop their sword and pull out their dagger. And that's what they used close up hand-to-hand -hand combat. The reality is God's Word, if it's in your heart, you can use to enlighten people of the truth, to defend your stance of the faith, not just say, I'm a conscientious objector to sin. I'm not willing to go out there and, and, and participate. I, I, I don't want to go there. And you can justify it according to Scripture. I tell many young people, the time to decide about premarital relations is not when you're out on the date. It's when you're kneeling in your room, on your bed with your Bible open. And that's where you purpose to God what you will and won't do. Daniel didn't wake up one morning and say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be a radical. I'm not going to do what all these pagans are doing around me. No, he didn't. As a young man, he said, I want to do what God guides me to do. And I will not be moved. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego hadn't gotten saved the week before they were thrown in the furnace. They'd been trusting and walking with God for a long time. And they didn't have God's word like we have. They didn't have uh, the, the full gamut of a relationship. They had just a little bit of truth to hold on to. But it took them to places that were almost unimaginable. We have got to be God's person in respect to that. The Greek form of the word, word, is also, not logos only, but also rima. And Rema is another word. Let me read John 5, 46. It says, For had ye believed Moses, ye would have believed me, for he wrote of me. This is Jesus speaking. But if ye believe not his writings, how shall you believe my Rema or my words? You see, we've got to understand that God loves us but he understands that for us to love him, we have to choose. We have to make a choice. 
I made the mistake the other day of going to a fast food restaurant inside and I got behind somebody that even though they'd probably eaten there a thousand times, they couldn't make their mind up. <sighs> you ever go through that? I always get that person in front of me and I'm, I'm in a hurry to get somewhere and I, I try to be patient. I say, I know, devil, you want me to just say something. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait. And I want to lean over there and say, look, they only have four hamburgers up there. Just get one. I'll buy you all of them if you'll just go. But some people will stand and look at something for the longest time. But you know what else they do? They do the same thing with what God is calling them to do. I've talked with people who said, oh, when I was young, God called me uh, to serve, but I, I just, I'm still thinking about it. Well, here's the strange thing. We've got a limited amount of time to serve Him. And it's so important that when God calls, we respond We've got to be obedient to Him because if we're not serving Him, we're serving the flesh and the devil. So we need to be careful what we do. Now, let me quickly mention about the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is referring to those words that are spoken, the words that are proclaimed there. And you remember when Jesus spent 40 days and nights in the wilderness fasting? He just wanted to commune with his father. And he's out in the desert there. And just as he gets to the end of that fast, and he literally was hungry, and this wasn't just a casual hunger. After 40 days of fasting, it will hit you so quickly that, that literally, if you don't eat something within about 12 hours, you're in trouble. And that's where Jesus was. But Satan knew it. Satan knew that the, the greatest desire in, in that body that was carrying around Jesus Christ was to find some food and so that's exactly what the devil did he said command these stones to be made bread because there's just the two of them there there wasn't a bakery next door he said command them to become bread you know it's unusual there are three different temptations that Satan presents God with Jesus with there and you know what? He refuted all three of them with verses out of Deuteronomy. I know you read Deuteronomy all the time. You probably memorize most of it, right? I haven't. But he took three obscure verses that some of us have never read and absolutely refuted all evil in the world and cast him away. God's Word is that powerful. And yet, we don't hide it in our hearts. God's word is for speaking words of liberation to those who are in Satan's clutches. It gives them hope and help when, when they know that their life is, is bound, but they don't know who's binding it. They don't understand that Satan is actively after them. It is the life-giving words of the gospel from our lips to their ears that can change their lives and their hearts. But we cannot use those words if we don't possess them. It's not enough just to drag somebody to your preacher. You are given the responsibility of handling God's Word. Just like a soldier in the army, a spiritual warrior must train daily with his weapon and be prepared. The 119th Psalm says, Your word have I hid in my heart that I would not sin against you. I remind you, the man that said that at one point, didn't listen to God, and he did sin. 
And he suffered for that sin for the rest of his life. He also said later on in that, David said, your, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I realize that. Let's understand that, that God wants us to know his word, which means several things. It means God's word must be studied. It must be memorized. I don't believe God's word can become yours until it becomes you. You can't live one way and then quote God's word the other. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, and you can't do that. You know, in Acts 5.33 it says, But when they heard the words that were given by the apostles, they said they were cut to the heart, and they decided to kill them. Not everybody's going to receive God's word the same way. I wish I could say that they would, but they won't. Many people get angry. I have quoted God's word to people to try to help them understand their predicament, and they became bitter. Dear friend, God didn't create the problem. We did. Our sin did that. The problem is we're separated from God. We did the separating. Some of humanity thinks that they know what's best. They treat God, as I say, the proverbial uh, alarm on the wall. They, 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 they put God up there like he's a fire extinguisher. Well, I, I'll only go to him if it's a, a dire emergency. That's not what he wants. He wants a relationship with us that's real. Andrew Jackson said, that book, pointing at the Bible, he said, that book, sir, is the rock of which our republic rests upon. Apparently, they don't hear Andrew Jackson anymore in Washington. George Washington said, it's impossible to righteously govern the world without God in the Bible. Wow, what a truth. And a president that I did know, who I knew was a Christian, Ronald Reagan, said, within the covers of one single book, the Bible, God's holy word, are all the answers to all the problems that we will face today if only we would read and believe. How true that is. I remember the story that I read some years ago about a young man that was going off from, from Georgia to Duke University. And he was all excited about that. And as he got ready to leave, his mother handed him very sacredly and very quietly a Bible. Said, this is yours. Your name is inside. There's a gift from your father and I. And they said, if you'll read this Bible every day, if you'll turn through the pages of this Bible and seek out God's guidance your life will be incredibly and incomparably different than you could ever imagine. And the boy promised to read the Bible. Well, the boy called home about three or four weeks later, and he was getting toward the middle of the semester, and he was getting scared, so he contacted them, and he said, I'm just real, real sad. Uh, he said, I'm running out of money. And she said, well, are you reading your Bible and praying? Yeah. She said, then, then you don't need me to help you. He called two weeks later and said, Mom, I hadn't eaten in four days and said, I don't have any food. And she said, are you reading God's Word? He said, of course I am. And she said, is the Bible near you? He says, over there on the desk. She said, pick it up and turn to the first psalm. And he turned to it, and you know what was marking it? Five $20 bills. She said, turn over to Proverbs. There was $400 there. She had placed the money in there, not as a trick, 
but to see how honest he was. And she said this. She said, my dear boy, that money is not the solution to your problem. The words in that book are, get serious about God's word. We don't do that today. We run to God's word when there's a disaster. We flip through some pages and look at it as if we've never seen it before because we haven't. But I remind you, these are the promises God made you. This is not a technical manual how to be human in this world. Not at all. This is a love letter written from your Creator to you to make sure that you have a trajectory in this life that's to heaven. And on your way, you bring others with you. If you don't handle God's Word and consume God's Word, you will never be a child of God that you were called to be. And I pray that this is one piece of that armor you will put on and never lay down. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you would speak to us this morning and convict us of our own need to know you and especially know your word. For in that word you speak to us mightily. You give us confidence. You give us direction. You give us hope. And so often in life we're looking for hope in every single direction but the correct one. And I pray that we would rather than opening the newspaper or turning on cable news that we would open your word and get the guidance that we need, Lord. That is where we should go, and that is what we should seek. And Father, I pray this morning, if there's someone here within the sound of my voice, that's seeking you, they want to grow closer to you. They want to have a relationship that will make a difference. I pray that this moment would be their moment. They would understand that the feeling they have is not one of of uncertainty or discomfort, but it's one of conviction. And that your spirit would call them and they would respond in this very moment. The only true response we can ever have to you, Father, is affirmation and obedience. And I pray that someone this morning who needs to come and become a Christian... Or they need to come forward and follow you in obedience to be baptized. Or or come and join your church. I pray that this would be the day that their life would change forever. And may they be obedient even now. For we pray this in your holy name, Lord. Amen.